Welcome to the Ecclesia Podcast. Join us as we engage in conversations about what it means to be the church in this age. We believe God is calling the church into a different mode of being, living beyond the status quo. Welcome, listeners, to our KGF podcast, Ecclesia, taking a look at the local church. My name is Joel, and I'm here with Phil Wagler and our other pastor, Levi Simpson. Welcome to both of you. Today, we are talking about the cultural moment that we find ourselves in as the church in North America in 2021. What do we need to understand about our current patterns as a church? And what we may need to shift in our approach and understanding of the weekend gathering. So let's start by unpacking what is our current cultural context that we live in right now uh, in North America. Well, that's a loaded one, Joel. We, we got a half hour to figure that one out. Um, Jeff Christofferson, uh, some of us have watched this uh, talk he gave at the Evangelical Missiological Society, which is like a burdensome title for, for something. But basically, it's um, mission-type thinkers who get together and talk about stuff. And we as a staff watch this. We were inviting our church family to watch this and have a conversation about it. But he he... He's with the Send Institute, which thinks a lot and does a lot of church planting across North America, and they're shifting all kinds of things as they think about the realities of of what it means to be on mission in the 21st century. Um, and guys, we watched it, and like he he mentioned a few different pieces of how secularity is bringing clarity for the church, which is mm-hmm. kind of a funny way to think about it because sometimes it's assumed to be threat. Uh, but he talked about it as bringing clarity. Uh, maybe we could just talk through a bunch of those things, like on the way to what you were saying, Joel, of like, what were some of the things he was saying, guys, like religious pluralism, um, that uh, were suddenly Christians, especially those of us, like I'm 48, so me and up, especially, we're used to a world where church and Christianity was kind of, somewhat assumed yep. in wider yeah, culture. Expected. I don't know, Joel, you're the young guy. I don't know. Does yeah. that, what is it like? You're, you're living in a different, from what generationally, you born generationally, Joel, and even to a degree myself, but more so Joel would be from what they call the post-Christian age right, where people yeah. will have zero experience yeah. with any aspect of the church. Yeah. My high school world, which was pretty much my first real exposure to people outside of the church was was one where Christianity just one of the many options. You know, you could be a Christian, you could be Catholic, which was sometimes considered its own category. You could be a Muslim, you could be an atheist or an agnostic, you could be in process of questioning, you could be all sorts of things. Um, what year were you born again, Joel? 92. 92. Yeah. The Blue Jays won the World Series mm-hmm. right. in celebration of your birth. Year. It was a good year. See, and when when I said post-Christian, it doesn't mean that no one's a Christian anymore. What yeah. they're really saying is that Christianity is no longer the assumed starting yeah. point for people. Yeah. So when we say post-Christian, we're really talking about like Christianity is in this mosaic of options yeah. and it doesn't stand out necessarily any more than any other one. Exactly. Yeah. The reaction I got when I told people it was a Christian was, okay. Yeah. All right. It wasn't animosity. It well, wasn't like, 
hooray, another one. Like, yep. I, I'm and a that's where, too. It was just like, all right, cool. And that's where Christofferson comes in. Because I know that when, when you said, Phil, that Christians feel kind of threatened by this, what they're threatened by is feeling like they're no longer the king of the hill. Yeah. Which I think is actually a good thing. And Christofferson is tr- trying to point out that this is a, actually a good thing as well. Because what happens when Christianity is at the top of the heap is it gets lazy and it no longer needs to show the strength or the truth or the power of the gospel. It is now mm-hmm. simply assumed. Yeah. So when Christofferson is talking about um, how this is really an opportunity for the church, how this can bring clarity for the church, it means that this is really a chance for, for Christians to take seriously that Christianity was always one of the options. Mm-hmm. It has always been one of the options. And the a really fair question from the average person in the street is, why should I bother with Jesus Christ? Yeah. And Christians haven't had to answer that question. In fact, the, the question, the, the answer to that question was, well, come to church. Come to church and you'll see. Um, but that is not a valid answer for people anymore oh, at all. And then building on that, one of the things Christofferson also points to, so there's this pluralism in culture, uh, which is, it does clarify. And it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing because the church has always, and still you know, obviously here in North America, we're increasingly in that reality. But in many parts of the world, that just is. Yeah. (laughs) Like Christianity is one among many. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, the other thing that he says then is that this pluralism is also uncovering the fragile moral substrata is kind of the language he uses around that, but that people are asking a different question as a result of secularism and this wide pluralism is instead... Christofferson's point was they're ask, less asking what is the purpose of life and asking a more practical question of what is fair, righteous, and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And basically kind of what works. Yeah. Yeah. What works to live. Yeah. And and that that actually opens up a whole new set of opportunities and clarity because if we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's more than just like intellectual or academic ideas about who God is that we subscribe to. It's more about how does this actually work to make life better, mm-hmm. uh, to make the world a better place? Yeah, Because those that, are the questions people are wondering about. The grid that people are working or, or processing our, our answers through as well, like you said, you know, it's practicality. Um, it's what actually works. But with secularism there's this idea there's this there's this radical individuality as well and so that's why you know you're mentioning joel at your school people are kind of like oh you're christian whatever because that works for you that's that's the implied thing you do you as long as you don't interfere with me that's right and and so there's this this radical individualism and what people ask what, what people are actually asking if we as christians believe in the truth of the gospel then when somebody says what does this do for me? That can sound very selfish, but the the question that we can hear hidden in there is, what does Jesus Christ have to do with me? Mm-hmm. And what can Jesus Christ offer me? Um, and actually, because there's that increasing lack of animosity against the church, people are legitimately open um, to hearing an answer. Now, the question is, are Christians equipped and able and comfortable and confident 
giving an answer mm-hmm. or are Christians still a bit, um, and this is why we want to talk about clarity moving forward, are Christians still kind of resting on our laurels, kind of pining for the golden days when we were the ones, you know, I'm air quoting here, when we were the ones in charge. Right. Um, and we're not. We actually have to show why the gospel is worth saying yes to. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great challenge for the church today. Another thing, another point that Christofferson makes in terms of the se- how secularity is bringing clarity is the rise of the nuns. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> not, the, not the N-U-N-S. I'm sure the Catholic Church is looking for more nuns, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is those who would say they are none of the above when they're asked about their religious or spiritual affiliation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't check Muslim, Christian, whatever. They just, they just are none, none yeah. of the above. Yeah. And, and that the rise of that is, um, is actually indicating that people just see that as an equal option among many. Yeah. And I think it highlights the fact, oh, I think it's important to know that these people have always been there. Yeah. Yes. They've That's a point he's there. making. Yeah. Right? The, the thing though is now they feel again with this rise of individualism they feel empowered to say my feeling disenfranchised from the church or a lack of any connection to any kind of faith tradition is okay and since it's okay for me i'm going to you know slap that on my census i'm going to say i'm none of the above um but again it's a great clarifying moment for the church because now you can't just be a christian in name um People want to know, if you're a Christian, do you look different than me? Yeah. And, and we can't assume that they have rejected. No. Because they don't know. Yeah. And we can't assume they know the stories we know mm-hmm. from, you know, Sunday school or whatever, that the the Bible stories that sometimes we take for granted. A uh, couple, couple funny stories. So one was an Al Jazeera article I read, which uh, was about COVID in India mm-hmm. and how a Muslim sold their vehicle to raise money for Hindus who didn't have oxygen. So it was like this pretty, I mean, it's pretty Mm -hmm. humbling, right? How many Mm -hmm. Christians have sold their SUV to buy oxygen for people in India? Mm -hmm. But this Muslim guy does it. But the in Al Jazeera, the title of the article was A Story of a Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. So think about what just got combined in that, right? And, And how many people reading that would understand in North America, in a secular society, we would understand that's a Jesus story. Yeah, the Good Samaritan is a Jesus story, but in that, in this context, in the Al Jazeera, it's connected to what a Muslim is doing for a Hindu. Yeah. So the the nuns, all those things just get pulled together. And Another, just one more quick story. I was uh, I was my son plays hockey, so we're in the dressing room. This is a uh, over a year ago. We're in the dressing room. The kid beside us is getting his skates tightened. And he just like blurts out, his mom's tightening his skates. He just blurts out, mom, are we Jewish? <laughs> and you think the fact that you'd have to ask the question tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But, but her response was, no, we're not religious. Mm-hmm. So, so again, there's a, there was a family, a nuns mm-hmm. sitting right beside me in the hockey dressing room, in some ways, unashamedly talking about it. Yeah. And even not even knowing what was being talked about, because the kid clearly didn't know mm-hmm. whether they were Jewish or secular or anything, right? Yeah. So this is the this is not just the reality in another part of the world. It is actually the reality 
here. I was talking with uh, a homeless person who was who I'd built a relationship with, and he had come to the church asking for some help. And he was sharing a good laugh with me because he said, um, he said, have you seen that sign that this church has got up there? I think they're making fun of Jesus. And I said, oh, why do you think that? And they said, well, they're calling him a sheep. They, they said they called him the lamb of God. And he just had a good laugh about that. And I was like, oh, there you go. Post-Christian society. He actually Doesn't has lamb no frame of reference to understand that saying. And again, that's a great challenge for Christians because... What's actually happening when you're communicating the gospel, um, really, every Christian now is a missionary. Yes. Where you have this story, the gospel narrative, and just like any other missionary around the world, you have to take this story that is like a part of the, you know, maybe it's like embedded in every fiber of your being, but now you have to translate that. Mm -hmm. You have to translate that for somebody who has no frame of reference for what you're talking about. They have no predisposition towards a belief in God, let alone a particular God in space and time, you know, God revealed in Christ. You've got no pre-existing um, Sunday school background to draw on, nothing. Mm -hmm. So how then do you communicate the gospel? And uh, this brings up one of Christopherson's other points where he was talking about that um, what we're seeing as well is the globalization of Christianity. Yes. Um, I think he talks about it as the the de-eurocentrism of, of Christianity. Which we, sounds we, a little bit like a virus. It's a, it's a clumsy word, but it's this idea of how we have assumed that the church is the Western church, the church mm -hmm. is a white church, and the church has this direct lineage right back to the church fathers, and they're all white, and it's all, all of this kind of stuff. And the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is the heart of the church is not in North America, it's not in Europe, it's in the South. It's in South America, it's in Africa. And as a result, for us in our local contexts, we now find ourselves as missionaries to people um, who don't understand the gospel. And now we have to make sure that when we're communicating the gospel, that we are not confusing, say, Canadian, British, Colombian Christianity with the gospel. That is a very particular kind or you know, right. brand if you want to of christianity mm -hmm. and he, and he asked the question and uh, had conversations with other uh, missionaries in other parts of the world who who raised the same thing asking the question where do you get your idea of the church mm -hmm. so where does your idea of the church come from and most of us especially for white like the three of us blokes most of us uh, our our idea of what the church looks like actually comes from europe mm -hmm. it originally started there in a in our expression yeah. of it. Yep. So, uh, but what what is actually what the Bible says mm -hmm. about what the church looks like and what should be a part of the life of the church? Now, it doesn't mean that the Euro history that shaped churches didn't include parts of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It absolutely did because that's what sustained it, actually. Mm -hmm. But the the pieces that are that we often assume could actually go away and the church doesn't lose mm -hmm. anything. There's a, a video that um, me and some people in our church are going to be watching in two weeks' time that looks at the church in Africa. Uh, it's a bunch of people from different cultures coming to see the church in Africa and wrestling with the adjective put in front of, of the church or Christianity and realizing that for many of them, uh, who, most of them are from the West, they assume that their Christianity is the starting point and 
African Christianity is a different version, um, sort of like a, an offshoot of their Christianity. Mm. And this this wrestling with, wait a second, all of us are are um, are being shaped by the gospel, but also shaping the gospel and how it's expressed via mm-hmm. our culture, our families, etc. That's a good thing to remember so that when we're communicating the gospel, A, we're not trying to produce clones of ourselves. And B, just like Paul was with the Gentiles, um, being receptive to new ways God might be at work in people. I remember my brother did a, an article, uh, an essay on the church in uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church in Alaska and uh, versus uh, how the Catholic Church uh, proselytized. And the Catholic Church was very much a, a program of um, Europeanizing the people they were preaching to. Whereas there was this one mission in Alaska where they they brought the gospel and they let the uh, the native community there shape their expression of it. They mm-hmm. didn't sit in rows. They didn't have the same kind of leadership structure. And it looked very different. And that threatened a lot of people on the one hand. But what do you expect when the gospel arrives in a uh, mm-hmm. Native American context, in, mm-hmm. an, in an indigenous context? It's going to look different. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where... Western Christians have to kind of let go of their their death grip of what they think the church mm-hmm. should look like, yeah. and um, well, and that's what this past year has challenged us all yeah. with, right? And yeah. and so this comes to uh, one of the really helpful things that Christofferson's talk sh- uh, kind of shook us to think about is um, a church that understands we exist that when we gather. It's not for the mission field, it's for the mission force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not attractional church uh, anymore. Like in the sense we would, we used to plant worship services. Sometimes we still do that. We, we, we go and we say, we're going to bring the gospel to them. But what we really mean is we're going we're gonna to bring a worship service into that community and we're going to meet in the gym and we're going to set up rows and we're going to have worship songs that people are going to be like, what is, what is this? And, and we're going to hope that we're going to attract them to that thing. Right. So we're going to plant a worship service for the purpose of evangelizing a group. When really, we should start shifting to a, we plant from evangelism. Like we go into a community, talk to people about the gospel, and a gathering comes out of that because people want to know more. So you say, well, let's all talk about this at the same time. Instead of having me having five meetings a week trying to, you know, unpack some scripture with you guys, let's just all read the Bible together and talk about what it says. And that's kind of a more, I think, biblical approach and historical approach to. And so when we think about what it means to be gathered um, as Christians, we're actually a mission force that are coming together Mm -hmm. because the teacher is the missionary in the school on Monday and the plumber is the missionary getting into people's homes and literally kneeling mm-hmm. to pray. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the farmer, you know, everybody is actually, everybody who's a believer is the missionary. And so our investment when we gather is to encourage and build up the mission force mm-hmm. because the statistics that Christofferson talked about are actually quite astounding. Yeah. We're only 6% of Canadians or North Americans, I forget exactly, but 6% would identify themselves as evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. There might be, you know, there's other Christians in the wider church family of God, but, 
but 6% would call themselves evangelicals. I mean, that is a missionary force that needs to be equipped because they're among this pluralistic, secular culture mm -hmm. where they're full of nuns. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And the opportunity mm -hmm. to, we need actually everybody equipped as a missionary. And a very small percentage of people would consider dropping into a church to see what they're about. Yeah, see, that's the, that idea, that attractional model where you hope that the music wafts out the doors and people hear it and it triggers something in their memory. What you're actually trying to sell there is a particular culture. I remember a young man came to our church mm. and he found it very difficult to be in our church um, because of the culture. He had never sung in a group before. He had never, um, he, he called it, uh, what do you call it? Um, group karaoke. That's what he called it, where we were all all standing there singing songs off a sheet off of a, off of the screen, and it, yeah. and he Group said karaoke. Yeah, he said he was he loved Jesus. He couldn't deny what Jesus had done in his life, but he was really struggling with the culture of the church. And again, that's that that's that idea of the church kind of having a, a death grip on what it looks like or means to be a Christian. And this is where it's really need to go back to Paul. When Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, so he's again translating the gospel for this new community of people. Mm -hmm. And the big thing he's concerned about is if Jesus is at work in you by his Holy Spirit, then whatever you look like, you shouldn't look like us. That is, you shouldn't look like a Jewish Christian because you're not a Jewish Christian. You're a Gentile Christian. And if anybody says that you have to look like a Jewish Christian, they're wrong, yeah. even if their heart is in the right place. Yeah. Even if their heart is in the right because, place. Because it's... Anti-gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's gospel that forms, yeah. not not some type of, you know, cultural, cultural heritage or, or something like now, that. Now, the, the part that would have been so lovely is if Paul had kept a record for us of... So a, a detailed record of how people were met by the gospel. Because, you know, as we're talking about what the culture is like, you know, it's this um, this individualized space where we we are on a buffet of offerings out there. Um, where, where we have to translate this for people, the question for maybe people who are listening even is, okay, so how do I do that? Mm -hmm. How do I translate this? And all we know is that Paul did this. We have, I guess, one little glimpse of it. Uh, Luke records it when he's preaching in Mars Hill. Uh, and it's a failed attempt, actually, because nothing happens as a result of it. But it shows how far Paul's willing to go when he says he uses an idol as, uh, as an example for God, this mm -hmm. good Jew points to an idol and says, God's a lot like that idol, which is a really radical statement for Paul to make. But one of the, there's a, an author um, I'm reading right now, his name's Andrew Root, and he's wrestling with some of these questions. What does it look like to be um, a pastor in the secular age? What is that, what does faith formation look like in a secular age? And his most recent book is, uh, what is the congregation like and for in a secular age? And when he talks about mission, one of the things that he says is um, that the role of the Christian really is to come alongside somebody in what he calls a death experience. So death as in um, they are dead because of sin. Say they're in a really hard spot in their life. They're going through something difficult, a, lo a loss of a job or a divorce or illness or maybe a pandemic has hit. Mm -hmm. And that the, the role of the believer is to come alongside that person and... Um, show what it looks like to wait for God, mm. to hopefully wait for God. Because again, we can't control whether or not or how God is going to meet that person in their life. But our job is to go into those spaces 
and model a reality, paint a picture where there is a God who does and has um, meet people here and and then wait for him with that person. Mm-hmm. Because that's really, in in doing that, we're showing what a, the, the, the posture of a Christian. We are somebody who hopefully waits on God. And again, that's not like a fingers crossed, toes crossed, I hope this happens, but a confident hope because of what, of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes into our death experience and puts his trust in God the Father right up to his death on the cross. And so we've been talking about Philippians. What um, what what Andrew is really trying to say is, like Paul says in Philippians, how God looks like Jesus Christ crucified. Christians need to look like a community of people, a tribe of people, an individual who comes into somebody's death experience and feels it with them, feels it for them, and waits on God with them and for them. That reminds me of, uh, like, we all, most people know the saying, the medium is the message. Yeah. And Marshall McLuhan, yeah. right? Uh, from, he was a Canadian academic philosopher guy. Yeah. Uh, many people don't realize he was Christian. Hmm. Uh, he was very committedly Christian, and increasingly so as his life went on. But his thing of the medium is the message actually was about in the context of him wrestling through of how do you how things get communicated because he thought about the digital world and where this was all headed way back in the 70s right and the medium is the message he's pointing to the fact that it has to actually be a people yeah it's a peoplehood the people are the message and what you're saying levi and i think what christopherson is really ultimately pointing to in a secular age is there has to be a group of people who are embodying the hope of Jesus, the mm-hmm. way of Jesus, where a secular culture, where pluralism is, mm-hmm. where people don't know what they believe, mm-hmm. although they all are believing something, but even yeah. though they can see and go, oh, that's what that looks like. Yeah. So everything starts to shift and change as we think about what that means and the invitation and actually the excitement that that is to be the church in a time like this. And if the medium is the message, again, just to clarify for our listeners, the what that means is a, a healthy church isn't necessarily a church that has a vibrant worship uh, experience and a powerful message preached on Sunday. A healthy church is a, a collection of, of mature and maturing believers who are then coming together to mutually encourage each other to uh, be uh, met afresh by Jesus in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can put on a good show. You can have a good rhetorician. And one of the things that I know that some churches have realized um, and have been happy to share with, with us as pastors is when the pandemic hit, they realized that's all we had. We hadn't been maturing our people. Yeah. We, we, we just had a good show. Yeah. And so a healthy church is actually a healthy collection of individuals who are engaged in embodying the gospel for the sake of their community and the yeah. world around them. So in a, in a secular age, the, the, communi- the, the primary, and I think this is what Christofferson's getting at, the primary communication tool of the gospel will be us. Absolutely. Will, will be us, the people. Mm-hmm. And, and that is actually uh, pretty inviting. Mm-hmm. It, it clarifies... Um, but it's also kind of threatening. 
because it 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 means that I can't rely just on you know my church is going to grow because Levi is going to preach a good deep series. I can't right? just invite my buddy to hear Phil preach and that's going to be it. He's going to. You, know, you tried that and he, he didn't come. <laughs> so, but it, it it actually the invitation is it takes all of us. Like mm-hmm. it takes uh, where we know each other, we walk together. And, and it takes us shifting and thinking, what does it mean for us to be the mission force? What do we need? What do we need to be the church? How do we live the gospel together? How are we patient with one another? Yeah. Um, and how do we enter into this really confusing and yet uh, exciting time uh, where really it's more New Testament-like mm-hmm. in being among the, the peoples of the world? And there's a great there's some great encouragements and some lessons in both in scripture and in history here, because part of it feels like um, maybe you're, you're listening, you're thinking, yeah, but you know, I've never been to Bible college. I haven't thought about this very much. Um, I don't feel like this is going to work if it's all on my shoulders. And there's a few things I would say to that. I've said this before in some of my deeper classes was one of my profs who told me they would stress it over and over again. They would say the disciples were never the smartest people in the room. Mm-hmm. That true. actually, which is uh, hope for the three of us here. Yeah, it's, and so, ironically, it's what um, is noticed in Acts. They, they basically, without being so impolite, say the people, you know, the the disciples were fishermen. Now that's code for the disciples were kind of stupid. <laughs> they didn't have an education. They didn't have this stuff. What they had, though, very transparently was Jesus. Yeah. And there's also this, there's an important idea because one of the, the Western ideas that has come with the church is that um, what is needed is really powerful preaching. And certainly that is important and it helps the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, sociocultural study, studies and historians have looked back to say, well, what actually drove the growth of the church? And it wasn't the power of the preaching. It was the shape and the contour of the individual lives that made up the early church. Because as the church wrestled with what it meant to look like God, to be, you know, to be be conformed to the image of Christ, they began to do things like look after children who were, had been abandoned. They began to look after those who were um, actually, really importantly, those who were struck down or inconvenienced by pandemic, by plague, on two points in the church's history. That's right. And people were confused by this. And th- they were confused by how... Um, how caring and compassionate the church was and how willing to step into into action the church was. And their question wasn't, boy, the gospel's amazing. Their question is, how come the world you live in seems so much richer than the world I'm in? What are you on about? And that was really the birth of theology. Well, I'm on about Jesus. What does that mean? That's a good question. Why don't we talk about that? <laughs> and Certainly, yeah, people have gone, you know, uh, to left field and answered some of those questions, but that's why we do this in a community so that somebody can eventually point out, you know, that's a bit of a, a left field answer. Let's look at, you know, let's, let's, let's focus on scripture. Let's focus on the history and the life of the church here. And they've, they've come down to, this is what theology is. But it's this idea of, again, the medium was the message. People saw the church. They were confused and bemused by it. Mm-hmm. But it also had a radical impact on the the shape and texture of their own lives to the point where they said, all right, I'm in. By the way, what am I in for exactly? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is this? And yeah. then, the, then the church leaned on its powerful message. Yeah. 
but, but until until the church was actually being the church, uh, Christianity was just an oddity, which is mm-hmm. unfortunately what it is for many people today. It yeah. seems like this odd cultural artifact, um, and it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone listening today that you can be encouraged that you have Jesus. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Amen. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to have all your theology figured out um, and have penal substitutionary atonement memorized. (laughs) You just need to know Jesus and make him known and be like him. Um, Thanks for listening in, everybody. We hope that this podcast has not only encouraged you, but expanded the way you might think about being the church. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, help us reach even more people by leaving a review, like, or share on your favorite platform. If you have any questions or comments, email us at podcast at kgfchurch.com.